Good morning, everybody. We are getting ready to start a brand new sermon series that is um, called Upside Down. And it's talking about how Jesus reframes everything when we look through the lens of how Jesus calls us to look through it. And so I've invited my friend Caleb Van Brent to help us kick off our new sermon series this morning. And Caleb has been doing a little work, a little research on how you can find Jesus in all the places of the Bible. So I thought that we would just invite him to kick off our sermon series this morning and share with us how he is seeing Jesus all through the Bible. Go for it, Caleb. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's a captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's a rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our everlasting redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's our prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's our weaving prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man to watch the fire furnace. In Hosea, he's a faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burnt bear. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is a messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is a avenger of God's way. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crime, revive thy works in the midst of the earth. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is a fountain, opened up in the house of day for sin and uncleanness. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with clean swings. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's a servant. In Luke, he's the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In First Corinthians, he's the rock of all Israel. In Second Corinthians, he's the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, he's your liberty. He set you free. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's your joy. In Colossians, he's your completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's your hope. In First Timothy, he's your faith. In Second Timothy, he's your stability. In Philemon, he's your benefactor. In Titus, he's truth. In Hebrews, he's your perfection. In James, he's the power behind your faith. In First Peter, he's your example. In Second Peter, he's your purity. In First John, he's your light. In Second John, he's your pattern. In Third John, he's your motivation. In Jude, he's a foundation of faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and he's pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him, and the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The fascists couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And Oprah can't explain him away. He is life, love, longevity, and Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, brightness, mighty, Powerful and pure. 
His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my God. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord, and he rules my life. one of our kids from Purpose Kids, you know? (laughs) Well, sometimes it is difficult to see Jesus working in our midst. Have you ever had a moment um, where you feel like God has just been absent or has shown up late? Um, A few years ago, I only had one child at the time, and my daughter was a toddler, and we were flying on Thanksgiving Day to try and make a big family gathering um, for Thanksgiving. And so my husband and I were traveling, and we were on a plane, and while we were in the flight, mid-flight, she threw up all over her, all over her car seat, all over us, which we had to then take that car seat and put it in the rental car to continue to drive to try and get to Thanksgiving. And while um, we decided we better stop and just change really quick. So we we stopped and took a shower. And um, while I was in the shower, I'd taken my wedding ring off and put it um, on the counter. And my daughter somehow found it and hid it in the house. And then we could not find it, but we had to go. We were trying to get there for Thanksgiving. So we got back in the car. We raced over, got there. We opened the door to see all the family who greeted with us with, you're late. We just started dessert. Like, are you kidding me? After all that, and we missed Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, it is so frustrating when you show up late for something that you are trying to get to. And some of us just tend to be late. I mean, there's those of us who always get there early. Who's an early person? Always gets there early. Okay. Those who, like, just get there right on time. Who shows up right on time? And those who are always just running a few minutes late, right? Okay, yeah. So I thought it'd be fun. Um, there's lots of excuses for getting, being late to work. I mean, usually the normal ones, I was stuck in traffic, or there was bad weather, or maybe my child was sick. But some people have come up with some really creative reasons why they've been late to work. Um, so one employee called in their boss and said, I accidentally put glue in my eye instead of contact lens solution. It's a good one, right? Um, wait, was it, was it, were you supposed to spring forward or do you spring back? I couldn't remember. Um, one person called in and said, oh, the line was too long at Starbucks. I'm sorry. I just, you know, priorities. Um, someone called in and said, all my clothes got stolen. I had nothing to wear. Someone called in and said, my hair caught on fire from my blow dryer. That's why I'm late to work. Um, another one said, my left turn signal was out, so I had to make all right-hand turns going to work. Um, and the best one was, you mean I have to show up to work every single day? What? So there's all kinds of people, reasons people think that they should be um, late to work. But how about God showing up late? Have you ever been in a situation in life where you've just wondered where God is? How come God isn't showing up. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting on God. I mean, have you ever asked the question, why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about that? What's your that? Have you ever asked God that? I mean, raise your hand. Have you ever asked, why doesn't God do something about that? 
I mean, look around. We've all asked that question, right? Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, you don't have to look around or go very far. Um, You know, maybe you're sitting next to the that. (laughs) Maybe you left the that at home. (laughs) Maybe you work with the that, or um, your cubicle is around that. I mean, we all have a that. And sometimes preachers, we don't make it any easier. We stand up here and say things like, you just need more faith. You need to pray harder. You need to read your Bible. And all of a sudden, it becomes more that you need to try harder. If you just had more faith, then God would really show up. God would really work. And sometimes other people make it hard for us too, right? I mean, they are the ones, they've got health insurance, they get into the college they want. Um, Sometimes it's even people who aren't very good, people who don't show up at church, and it makes it seem so easy. I mean, they're the ones that go to the beach on Sunday morning, or they play golf on Sunday morning um, instead of showing up at church, and it seems like everything goes so easy for them. Or sometimes our Christian friends can be really frustrating too. Have you ever talked to someone and they were like, oh, I was just driving around the mall and I couldn't find a parking spot. And so I just prayed. And would you believe miraculously God opened up a parking spot right in front of the store? And I just drove right in and went on my way. And you're like, shut up. I am praying for something really big here. I have a relationship on the line. I have a child I'm praying for. I'm looking for a job. You have a really big something on your heart. And you're like, where are you, God? Why don't you show up for me? What do we do when God is silent? When we think that God just isn't there? Sometimes we don't even think maybe he hears our prayers. Maybe we think he doesn't care. And maybe even sometimes we wonder, is God really real? Is he really working? Sometimes um, God just doesn't seem to answer. He doesn't show up in the way we want him to. The cancer is not cured. The foreclosure still happens or the company still fails. So today we are going to be looking in scripture in John 11, and we are going to be reading a story that helps me so much with these questions and with this wrestling. And I pray that today God would really speak and work in all of our midst as we wrestle with these questions. Why doesn't God do something about that? Because some of these people in this story are dealing with very real frustrations, very real anger that they had, um, very real... um, expectations that they had for God when Jesus was late and Jesus did not show up. And sometimes there's no simple answers, but this story reminds us that the character of God is still intact even when God doesn't act the way we think that God should act. And this story is going to put a smack dab in the middle of their questions their frustrations, some of their anger, and it gives us a glimpse of how God works, how God responds, how God hears even when we feel very distant from God. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 11, or you can follow along in your your outline there in your program. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
Now, the author here gives us a little parentheses. Um, John is writing this, and he says this. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So our, our writer, or our author, John, he wants to kind of clue us in who this family is, who the Mary is, because there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, and there's a lot of Marys in the first century. It's a very common name. So as, as John writes, the Mary, the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet, everyone's like, oh, this Mary. That was a very famous account. So they're all tracking with who it is. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. So Jesus was not in the area. He was out. um, He was about a day and a half away from where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were. And this is what they said to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, it's interesting because the author introduces us and tells us that it's Lazarus. But when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, they didn't say his name. They said, the one you love. So this is someone that Jesus knew so deeply, who he loved so much, a dear, dear friend of him, that Mary and Martha, all they had to say was, Jesus, the one you love. I mean, how would you like to be known by that? I mean, this was Lazarus's hashtag, man. I mean, he had his own hashtag. Jesus loves me, the one that Jesus loved. That's how he was known. Verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. So all of a sudden, Jesus is starting to give us a new category for understanding this particular sickness in this particular story, that Jesus is going to do something here in a new way. No, it, the sickness, is for God's glory. So why is Lazarus sick? I mean, sickness is a bad thing, right? And Jesus is saying, well, this particular sickness is for my glory. You're going to see God reveal something here that you have not seen before. So that, so in scripture, this is a purpose statement. This means this is, has a purpose. So that God's son, Jesus, may be glorified through it. So this is a new way of thinking. This is about giving hope in a situation where there is no hope. God is going to do a new thing. So John, who's writing this, he gives us some commentary about what is going to be happening next because he needs us as the reader, the hearers of this story, to hang with it because this story is going to get so complicated, so unbelievable that we may start to question some things. Like, what? This story is going to get crazy. And so in verse 5, John writes to us and he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved these guys. He knew them. They were friends. He hung out with them. He had dinner with them. He stayed at their house. He knew them by name. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Jesus. So you got that? Remember that. Hang on to that. Jesus loved them. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick... So remember, Jesus is not with them. Jesus is off in another town, and he's with the disciples. And so he hears that Jesus is sick, or that Lazarus is sick. And I can only imagine the disciples knew that these were good buds of Jesus. And so as soon as they got word from Mary and Martha that he was sick, I would have expected the disciples to be like, all right, Jesus, come on, here we go. We're heading out. Roll them up, move them out. We got to go. Lazarus needs you. But Jesus didn't do that. 
Verse 6 tells us Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. The one he loved was really sick and really needed him, and Jesus didn't go. Jesus waited. And verse 7, and then he said to his disciples, okay, now it's time. Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Okay, so the translation here means um, Jesus was in trouble, and they wanted to stone him. And so the disciples were a little nervous about going back to Bethany, because if they want to stone Jesus, sometimes people who are throwing stones miss, and they end up hitting them. So the disciples were a little nervous about going back with him to Bethany, to this place where they might get stoned. Oh, they were trying to have a good cover that they were all worried about Jesus. But the truth is they might have been a little nervous about themselves. And then Jesus, he does something really weird. Um, I mean, you can't make this stuff up in Scripture. It's so good. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Yeah, 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 okay. What is he talking about? That's kind of strange that Jesus would respond to them in that way. And I can only imagine John was like hanging back and be like, okay, all right, guys, let's just, let's get it down. Let's write it down. It might be important someday. Let's just hang with it, okay? So Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. This is so good, so profound. What is he talking about? What does this mean? So he's hanging out with the disciples. And this verse, these verses are about opportunity. He's talking to the disciples and saying, you know what? When you have daylight, you have 12 hours of daylight. You have time, 12 hours of the day to get things done, to do your work, to accomplish things. And then nighttime falls and you have to rest. Well, you are only going to have me for a little while. You are only going to have me for um, a few more hours of daylight, and then darkness will fall, and I will not be with you. And so you have an opportunity to go with me, even when it is hard. You have an opportunity to follow me to Bethany, even where they want to kill me, even where they are hostile towards me, even where they want to stone me. You have an opportunity to follow me, because if you do, you just might see God revealed in a mighty way. But you can stay safe. You can stay here. You don't have to follow me. But if you do, you are going to miss out. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So the disciples, because they don't want to go, they start giving Jesus some medical advice. Lord, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. Lord, if he's got a fever, he'll recover. Um, We don't have to go back where they hate us. He's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. I mean, have you ever tried to give someone medical advice before? They're giving that to Jesus. So in verse 14, Jesus says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then perhaps there's one of the most seemingly insensitive statements that Jesus makes, perhaps in all of Scripture. I mean, no one would make this up. I mean, Jesus turns to his closest followers, people that were with him through thick and thin, and he said this in verse 15, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. I was glad. What? Jesus, what are you talking about? Lazarus, the one you loved, 
He's sick and he's dying. And you're glad you weren't there? What are you talking about? What could be so important to you that you would allow the one that you love to die? And Jesus goes on to say, I am glad I was not there so that, there's a purpose statement there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So that this idea of belief, a faith that is so unshakable, a faith that is so rooted that it will not shake, it will not move, it will not go anywhere, that there is belief there. And you're saying that's what's so important that you're going to let somebody die? Jesus says, yeah, it is that important. So then we get to verse 16. And then Thomas, known as Didymus. Now Thomas, he kind of had a nickname. He had a reputation of being a little maybe complaining, a little critical. He was called Doubting Thomas. And um, do you remember Winnie the Pooh? Do you remember Eeyore? He was kind of like, you know, he was always complaining about something. You probably, if you have more than three children, probably one of your children is an Eeyore, right? Maybe you married an Eeyore. Maybe your dad was an Eeyore. Maybe you work with an Eeyore. We all know an Eeyore, right? Someone is an Eeyore in our life. So this is the Eeyore of the disciples. So verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's like, all right, Jesus, you're going to get stoned. Lazarus is already dead. We might as well go too. It's just going to be a big mass funeral. Here we go. So now um, we get to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, you have to imagine, um, you know, for four days, um, he'd been dead. And so this was in addition to the time they'd already sent for Jesus to come and heal him. So you've got to imagine Lazarus had been dying, laying there sick, no morphine, no drugs, Mary and Martha by his side. I can only imagine that they were sitting there wiping his brow and just encouraging him and reassuring him, Lazarus, Jesus is going to come. He's going to show up. Hang in there, Lazarus. Hang in there. Jesus would not let this happen. Jesus loves you. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus can do this. I mean, he heals the blind. He heals the lame. He's going to show up. And he didn't. And Lazarus died. And I can only imagine people in the community must have said, Mary, Martha, we have to bury your brother. And in the midst of all their emotions of maybe anger and frustration and disbelief and doubt, maybe they still had hope that Jesus would eventually show up. Maybe they thought that he would still come. And the community said, we've got to bury him. And so they wrapped him in grave claws and they put him in a tomb. Now, the the tombs in the first century were found in caves, and they would lay the body on a a stone uh, table, and then they would seal the tomb with a stone, with a rock. I mean, isn't that um, how we live sometimes? We feel like the moment that we'd been waiting for God, and we feel like the, the, the stone just got covered over the tomb door. And we wonder, when are you going to show up? Are you going to show up? Are you never going to show up? How come you're so late to this situation? God, if you cared about me, wouldn't you care about the that, the that that I'm in the middle of right now? Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now, four days is important because for first century people, they believed that the spirit hovered over the body for three days. And on the fourth day, it departed. So on the third day is when the face began to deform from the natural process of, um, of being exposed to the elements. And so on the fourth day, they believed there was just no hope because the spirit departed. And so can you imagine how embarrassed the disciples must have been to follow Jesus into Bethany, into this community of mourning people, these people who had expected Jesus to show up, these people who had called on Jesus to come and Jesus hadn't come. Jesus didn't even show up for the funeral. Can you imagine how embarrassed they must have been? Scripture goes on in verse 18 to say, Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So as Jesus came, he came in the midst of their pain, and he came in the midst of um, their frustration to offer them comfort. And Scripture tells us in verse 20, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Why do you think Mary stayed at home? Come on now, people. She was mad, right? Jesus did not show up. Where were you? You love the Romans. You love the Gentiles. What about my brother? What about us, Jesus? Why wouldn't you help your own people? And in verse 21, it says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is your fault. This is your fault, Jesus. Why didn't you get here? Why were you late? She goes on to say, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know. I know, I know, I know. This is the place where people try and comfort you, right? Where they try and um, say things. And Martha thinks he's going into a theological place here. Martha goes on to say, he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Don't give me a theology lesson. I know, Jesus, everybody's going to be resurrected with you someday in heaven. We'll all live again. But you should have been here. Why weren't you here? And Jesus looks at her and says something that only a crazy person would say. Only maybe an imposter. Or maybe only the very Son of God who is powerful and almighty. And he looks into this angry and confused and heartbroken woman and he says to her what he says to you and what he says to me. Jesus said to her, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think resurrection is an event and it is. Martha, you think resurrection is about something that will happen in the future. And it is. But Martha, I am resurrection. I am life. Now, who would say this to a woman who was grieving? Who would say this to a woman who had just lost her brother? He goes on to say, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks a question. And I believe he asked this question to you and to me. And you know, this question, it sounds differently at different places in our life. It sounds different when we're six 
than when we're 12. And it sounds different at 18 than it does when we're 28. It sounds different at 48 than it does when we are 68. But Jesus still asks us this question and he asks us to respond to this. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe Do you believe, Mary, with all you have experienced? Martha, with all you have experienced, do you still believe that I am the Son of God? Do you believe I am who I say I am, even when I don't act the way you think I should act? This is just unbelievable that God would set this up so that this question could be asked. And she goes on to say what she believes. I mean, I don't think she knows what to think at this point. She says, yes, Lord, she replies, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And then she runs back to Mary. And Mary gets out there and they kind of go through a very similar thing with Mary as Mary responds to Jesus. And when Mary reached the place, this is verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then John records something that is one of the most beautiful statements in Scripture. This statement is so helpful to us when we are in the midst of a situation that is so complicated and God isn't showing up and we just don't know where he is. And it's important for us to remember that God is not too distant. God is not too big. God is not too busy to care. Scripture tells us in verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus full of compassion in his heart for the brokenness that these people were facing, Jesus wept. And verse 36 says, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? Jesus, why didn't you do something about that? Jesus, why didn't you show up? Jesus, where were you? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. The rock had sealed, the door closed, and he said something that they were not expecting. I mean, they were in full mourning. Lazarus had been dead for four days, four days, double dead, really dead, spirit gone. He was completely dead. And Jesus, in verse 39, says, take away the stone. What? Move Lazarus's stone? Jesus, are you crazy? What are you doing? Now you were given a rock when you came in today. If you didn't get one, maybe raise your hand. I think they've got some people who are willing to run around and give rocks. If everybody has your rock, just take your rock in your hand. And just as Jesus was willing to say, move the stone away, roll that stone away, Jesus was willing to go into a hard place, a stinky place, a place that was unimaginable that anybody would want to go. And as you hold your rock, what is that place for you today? What is the that that you don't think God wants to go into, that God is showing up late? What is the rock in your life that you're not sure that God is actually going to move? And Martha protests, just as many of us do. She says in verse 39, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad order, for he has been there for four days. And I think Martha was maybe twisting the knife a little bit. Four days, Jesus, he's been in there. 
You could have done something. You could have showed up. You could have made a difference, Jesus. And Jesus says to her, this is so good. Jesus says to her in verse 40, he says this to you and he says this to me. Did I not tell you that if you believe, there's that believe word again, that this whole situation is set up for this powerful thing called belief. If you will believe, you will see the glory of God. What? This is what this whole thing is about? This is why you let uh, people that you know and love go into this dark place? This is why you let Lazarus die? So that we could see the glory of God? Jesus says, yeah, because I need you to know if you continue to believe, even in a dark place, God will show up. God can move the rock if you continue to believe. In verse 41, so they took away the stone. Jesus was not afraid to go smack dab into that place of darkness. Now, Jesus is going to get ready to pray here. And before I read the prayer that Jesus has in here, I just want you to think about it because Jesus knew what was going on. God knew what was going on. They knew they'd set this whole thing up. And I think Jesus was having this moment with his father in heaven saying, okay, God, you and I know what this is all about. You know what we're going to about to do here, but they don't know what we're about to do here. So I'm going to spend a minute here and just talk to you so that they know that when this thing happens, that it's not just about Jesus, but it is about Jesus reflecting the will of of God Almighty, that the Father, my Father, the Father of God is in this process, and that I am just reflecting you. Are you ready, God? Here we go. And so Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And they watched something happen before their eyes that they could not believe. A man who had been in the grave four days, really dead, double dead, four days dead, came out of the grave wrapped in cloths. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Do you know why Jesus had to say this? Because I don't think anybody made a move towards that man. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not going there. What just happened? Jesus said, somebody go. Go to Lazarus. Go get him. And then this may be one of the biggest understatements in the Bible. Here we go, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. I bet they did. Holy cow. Jesus just brought a dead guy back to life. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that Jesus cannot do. And so here is the question for us. Why doesn't God do something about that? Your that. We don't know. We don't know sometimes. And that's not a very emotionally satisfying answer. We don't know. But here is what we do know. Because of that day in Bethany, we know that he can. We know that sometimes he does. He calls us to believe in the midst of it so that we can see his glory. 
And he made us a promise. If we believe, he will see, we will see his glory. And in only in a short time, Jesus would ask his followers, his disciples, to go through this again as Jesus was crucified and went to a tomb and the stone was rolled away, rolled in front of his tomb. And people, his followers would probably say, why doesn't God do something about that? Why is God showing up late? He can. Sometimes he waits. And we trust him in the meantime for his glory. God showed up late, but he moved that rock. And that stone when Jesus was put in the tomb was rolled away so that the powerful, living, almighty son of God could make himself known to a world in need and say, I am the God that can move that rock. Sometimes we go through times in our life where we feel distant from God and God calls us to still maintain our faith. Hold on to it. When you hit a stumbling block, wait for God to move the rock. When you hit a stumbling block, wait for God to move that rock. I want to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up and as they do that, I want to just encourage you. Um, I've got some little cards that we had made up that says, when you face a stumbling block, wait for God to move that rock. And if this would be helpful to you or someone you know today, they're at the north doors and they're at the south doors. You can pick them up um, as you leave today. And we um, just want to encourage you um, through this time um, that as you go through these times in life, um, that God really does want to show up. And as you take that rock home with you today and you remember that there is no situation that is too big for God, that God can always move that rock. And this is the kind of upside down faith that is unbelievable. This is what you show up for to hear about, man. This is the kind of stuff we read our Bible for. This is in the Bible. This is good stuff. Jesus reframes everything when we look through the lens that God calls us to with faith. And so we wait and we can trust him in the meantime. And this was the message for the people at the time of the crucifixion. And this is the hope for the church. That God shows up. That we wait with great faith, with great hope, with great expectation. And if you wait and trust, you just might. You just may. You probably will see the very glory of God unfold before your eyes.